The Word of the Lord, from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 to 17. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation is the text that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. Faith takes on a life of its own. The righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we are at war, metaphorically, amongst the pastors in our country today. I know that may come as a shock to many of you, but what we are at war over could mean the very salvation of our souls. On the one side of the carefully drawn battle lines are the you-have-the-do-it-yourself crowd. None other than Cain, the surviving brother of Abel, saw, later the Apostle Paul, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and a myriad of other figures in the Bible— thought they could actually take the law into their own hands and save themselves by their own righteousness. I know, crazy, right? On the other hand, we have Abraham, Moses, all the prophets, and the transitioned Apostle Paul, who wrote our letter to the church in Rome today. The lines are carefully drawn between those who would focus on our actions and those who would focus on the person and the work of God. Pharisaical ministry is built on superhuman feats of community socialism versus gospel, sacramental worship, devotion to God's word, 
and reaching others with the salvation of Jesus Christ. Classes hinge on life management, child rearing, and personal development versus catechesis and the tenets of the faith that lead to life eternal. Now, the lines are obviously never drawn this clearly, but it can boil down to one key question about what the church is involved in. Does ministry depend on what I do, or is it focused on what God does? It is hard to criticize because you see the false proclaimers doing so many good things, feeding the hungry, lifting up the impoverished, providing low-cost housing for first-time homeowners, delighting the masses with self-affirming group gatherings in person and online, and rocking hip experiences that unintentionally draw them away from stodgier, older-fashioned congregations. The people come away from the gatherings exclaiming and lauding the pastor that just makes them feel so good. They can't wait to get back next week and learn how they can make themselves better again. The masters of the genre fill stadiums with tens of thousands and sell books and programs for personal growth with their shining countenance on the cover and veiled but inoffensive references to the Bible that any one of the religious persuasion can accept as sage advice for proper living. It seems like it is a human success story any pastor with a brain should emulate. So they can be lauded and magnified as well. And the churches can likewise experience wildly ecstatic members proud to be a part of the latest and the greatest cultural trend. Some even have intense knowledge of the Bible and can quote chapter and verse for any program or teaching they espouse, giving the appearance of being biblical and godly all at the same time. Reading today's lesson, you see their favorite verses, which they robustly quote, claiming victory for the superiority of their theology. Unfortunately, they dance dangerously with destroying the salvation of souls. One example is quite possibly one of the most popular teachers of the Bible to the wider culture of Christians who consider themselves to be proper students of God's word. He shall remain nameless because our job is not to publicly call reputations into question, but we will address the errors contained in his messaging so you can be prepared when confronted with this popular theology. He famously held up the scriptures as the solution to everything, if you just do what it says. If you just behave like God says you should, you will never hurt your brothers or sisters, and likewise, they will not harm you. If you just follow the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of other thousands of commands that follow it in Leviticus, you can't fail in life as a human being. If you adhere to biblical financial advice for investing and borrowing and managing your money, making potential, you'll have untold wealth beyond what you would have by other means. And that certainly seems right when you see the opening or just read a few verses. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Everyone who believes will not be put to shame. It all seems pretty simple. 
If we just do this, we will succeed. But therein lies the rub. We don't just do it, do we? Daily, we disobey God's Ten Commandments. We fib. We covet. We take what doesn't belong to us. We hate. And we certainly don't love God more than we love ourselves. An honest Christian will readily admit chief of sinners, though I be. So, we simply can't adhere to the possibility that if we just did what God's word says to do, we will be saved. Then we look at ourselves in the mirror and hopelessness can set in. Dissatisfaction can lead to anxiety and depression can take over like a rushing and unstoppable wave of melancholy. All because we keep looking at ourselves and not where we ought to. Peter had that problem in our gospel today. Let me read that for you. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, come me. Command me to come to you in on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Peter was so excited to see Jesus' friend coming to him, walking on the water, that he wanted to go to him. So Jesus said in modern parlance, Well, come on then, son. Jesus may have been impressed with Peter's enthusiasm, courage, or energy. But in any case, he certainly affirmed Peter's desire to get as near to Jesus as he could, even if it meant risking wind and wave. But a few steps out of the boat, Peter made a cataclysmic mistake. Peter stopped looking at Jesus and instead was distracted by an unstoppable wave. That's the problem with us, too. We can't stay focused on Jesus like we should. We can't behave like we must. And we can't do what God says we should do. That's why God has to command us to do what we should do. Because in and of ourselves, we would never do it on our own. Oh, we may step out of the boat with great enthusiasm for serving Jesus. We may venture into dangerous situations in order to fulfill God's will. 
and we may even utterly sacrifice ourselves for the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we do that focused on the success, the glory, and the bragging rights of a well-done, good, and faithful servant that everyone will laud and magnify with memorial stones or buildings named after us, we may lose the most important thing that saves us forever, focusing on Jesus. That's why Paul speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead, Lord of Lord. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not through our words, not through our achievements, not through our programs, not through our good feelings, not through anything we've done, but through everything God has done through us to save us and the world. Peter didn't walk on water. God walked on water through him. And as long as he stayed focused on Jesus, he stayed on top of the water. But when Peter's sinful nature got the best of him, causing him to sink, that was when Jesus was ready to pull him right back up out of the water and save him once again. It's tough to be saved by Jesus when your whole life is about yourself. It's easy to live when Jesus holds your hand in the most terrifying times of your life. Hands that reach down and redeem you after the devastation of divorce or the death of a loved one when you don't know how long you will ever live on without them. Hands that lift you up when the ruin of unemployment overwhelms your hopes for the future. And hands that hug you when you are all alone and nobody seems to call on you anymore. Those same hands were lifted up and nailed to a cross to do the only thing that needed to be done that we could never do to save our sinful hands from all we did to deserve damnation. There isn't a shelter for the homeless we can build, a food bank we can fill up, or a life skills class we can participate in or provide that will cover those sins that we committed. There is only the unstoppable flood of baptism that washes away those sins and reminds us who died for our sins with the blood that washed them away through the cross. This is where our faith is born, seated by the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of Christ's words, on the sinful, dry, and crusted hearts hardened against God, but made fertile by his tender care and love for our hell-bound souls. Jesus alone did, and only Jesus alone can be responsible for it, and only Jesus alone can keep it. It's not a life we create and make by our will. It is faith created by Christ, and given by the proclamation of his word through the work of his Holy Spirit that truly takes on a life of its own. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen. <laughs>